Last week, we began a series called, Did He Really Say That? Did He Really Say That? We began exploring some of the most countercultural, revolutionary, most upside down, famous, remembered words of Jesus Christ, yet, and we mentioned last week, often the most ignored, least obeyed sayings of Christ. Driving our reflection in this series is the fact of the resurrection. For if Jesus, who declared ahead of time, proclaimed that he would rise from the dead, when Jesus rose from the dead, he fulfilled and validated the words he had foretold his disciples. He validated and authenticated who he is. He basically stamped every single word and every single claim, every single statement that he ever made. And he says, I'm taking this out of the realm of opinion and I'm squarely securing it, anchoring it upon the realm of truth. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can no longer ignore his claims. No longer can we dismiss his commands. Hello, somebody say amen. No longer can we see him as a man pitching opinions, but rather we must respond to him as he who is truth. I sincerely believe that these sayings that are his most famous, the Sermon on the Mount, some of his most famous teachings, and yet the most ignored and misobeyed, disobeyed, rejected, discarded, Words of Jesus, I I am a hundred percent, a thousand percent confident that if we really grab a hold of these words, they will revolutionize our lives. That if we truly incorporate them and, and, and bring them into the fabric and weave them into the fabric of our lives, that they will revolutionize our homes that it will change our marriages. It will change the dynamics of our relationships with children, with our colleagues, our neighbors. It will rock our world. We need to know what he said. And we need to wrestle with it. We need to incorporate it. We've got to respond. So open up your Bibles. Matthew chapter 4. I mean 5. Verse 4. Last week we looked at the first statement in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, which is called the Beatitudes. And Beatitudes is because it starts with the word blessed. It comes from the Latin word, uh, okay? And so we call it Beatitude just because it starts with the word blessed. The Greek word makarios. Uh, blessed is the man. Uh, great is the man. Uh, how, how, uh, how exciting it is for you. How happy you should be because of blah, blah, blah. And so uh, we start off last week with blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And last week, we saw that the chief characteristic of any true disciple of Christ, any citizen of God's kingdom, is humility. We saw last week that humility is at the core. It's the differentiator. It's it's the things that distinguish the citizens of heaven. To be poor in spirit is to be spiritually bankrupt. It's to be a person that means I am utterly dependent upon God. There is no self-reliance. There is nothing in and of myself. There is nothing that I bring to the table. I am a poor, pitiable beggar in need of God's grace. Humility. We need to approach God in this way, first and foremost. Our citizenship in his kingdom is totally owing to his grace. There is nothing that will warrant God's favor in our lives. And so we started off right there, right 
at the thick of it, being offended by his words. You've got to be bore, a beggar, bankrupt, destitute, hungry for him. All right, so let's look at the second one and further our offense, okay? Amen. Uh, Matthew chapter four, uh, 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Father, I pray that you would release your Holy Spirit, the one who guides us into all truth, that he would reside around our ears, reside in the gates of our hearts, that we would be able to receive your word and allow it to run deep within us, changing us, transforming us in your mighty name. Amen. Did you guys know that there are over a hundred plus references to mourning, grieving in the Bible. Most of them are found within the Old Testament. Lots of different occasions, glimpses of sorrow, grief, pain. Most of them are in the Old Testament, like I said. And so when Jesus, like you got to stop and, and, and think about the setting here. Jesus is speaking. What is the setting of him speaking in this most famous of his sermons? The setting, keep in mind, is that leading up to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been going around all of Galilee. He has been preaching the kingdom of heaven. He has been going around healing the sick and aiding those who are suffering. He has been gathering the outcasts and reaching into their lives. He has been able to, in this period of time, to to come around those who are being demonized and he's delivering them, restoring them, putting them in their right mind and restoring them to society and family. He has been going around and so the crowds are forming. Men and women are hungry to hear this orator, this speaker, this rabbi teacher who is declaring the wonders of God and doing these mighty signs, miracles, and wonders. They are hungry to come around him. They are eager to catch a glimpse, to to hear some of his words and teachings. They are gathering around Jesus. And so now there are crowds in this region in the Galilee Jesus is ministering. The people are all around. He says, all right, disciples, come on over. The crowds are around. Come on over. Gather around. He sits and he begins to teach them. And he begins by telling them, hey, you crowds who are so hungry to hear me, so eager to see me, you who want to you know, you know, be able to, to witness and marvel at a miracle or, or whatever, uh, let me begin by saying, blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you beggars and destitute men and women who have nothing. You're blessed. You who are extending your hand and just hoping for a crumb, blessed are you, and now, get over that, blessed are you who mourn. 
His audience who have been reading the scriptures and, and know the Torah and have read the historical books and the Psalms and, and read the, the, the accounts of the prophets, they have seen time and time again sorrow, mourning, pain, suffering, all these different things. I wonder if in that moment, these people who are listening to Jesus say, you want to be blessed? You want to be counted blessed? Then you get yourself a helping, get yourself a fixing, get yourself a portion of suffering. I wonder that if in that moment, you know, their mind didn't cut to Abraham over there mourning, grieving, crying out because of the death of his wife, Sarah, in Genesis 23. Or maybe they, they cut to in their mind's eye to Jacob, mourning, tearing his clothes because of his son, Joseph, who he thinks is dead, but only has been sold, yet nevertheless lost to him. Are they thinking about this dad mourning his son. Or maybe they cut to, in their minds, David and his mighty men fasting, going without food, rejecting themselves, mourning because King Saul, their king, a friend, Jonathan, their compatriots and comrades, the army of the Lord, has been defeated in battle and killed in battle, as you find in 2 Samuel chapter 1. Or maybe the people hearing Jesus say, blessed are those who mourn, immediately their mind goes back to Kadesh Barnea, where that tragic moment in Numbers chapter 14, the people of God, because of their unbelief, are condemned a whole generation is condemned to not inherit the blessings and the promises and the opportunities of the promised land because they look and all they saw was giants. They said, we can't take it over. Maybe in that moment, they're thinking about those who rebelled against that even after the fact and God said that they will not inherit the land. And they said, no, we're going to go try anyways. And they are met with defeat and people die. Maybe there's all these sorrows in their minds. Maybe, just maybe. Maybe. Their minds instantly jumped to their own grief. Maybe a relational loss of a spouse, a child, a parent, a friend. Maybe uh, the people in that crowd, so many of them there, could have considered a functional loss of, of maybe their own bodies due to an accident, due to a disease, due to, a, to, to age. Maybe some of those in the crowd, they're looking around and observing each other and they're thinking, you know what, some of us are, have lost our role. We're no longer, you know, able to go within our social networks because something happened, the change came into our lives. How are we going to interact? What part will we now play in our social networks that has changed? Maybe some of them had their little boys and girls go off to Hebrew University and now they're empty nesters at home thinking, well, what are we going to do now? Maybe it could have been some of them there thinking about systemic, abstract, intrapsychic, ambiguous losses. Immediately they come to mind and they're stuck in their problem, thinking of what they are mourning, tangible or intangible yet a profound sense of loss are upon them and they're looking around and they're saying, what? Can you guys imagine that? 
The crowd hears Jesus. They come out to hear him. They're excited to be encouraged. They're excited to see miracles and say, maybe he'll pray for me. And Jesus says, hey, look, I want to conjure in your mind immediately an intense emotional grief over deep sorrows because of your senses of loss. Fixed in their mind's eye are historical and personal issues. Moments that are filled with tears. Moments that were completely overcome by anguish, dramatically displayed. Sounds exciting, huh? Jesus, what are you doing? You really know how to keep crowds, huh? You really know how to, you know, touch them where it matters, Lord, and get them going and keep them going. What a downer. Hey, you want to be blessed? Get yourself a portion of suffering. Uh, No, thank you. I'd rather not, please. Can we think about anything? Can we talk about anything else? How about that weather? Did you see that catch that they just had over here in the Sea of Galilee? Like, can we talk about something else? Yet, what brilliance on the part of our Lord. What brilliance? Because, you know, if you stop and think about this, loss is an unavoidable fixture in our lives. Loss is universal. Loss happens to everybody. We are going to and fro all the time in our lives, going from loss and gain, loss and gain, gain and loss. It's part of life. It's universal. It's unifying. It's relatable. And the citizens of God's kingdom will be those who mourn. In essence, it will be comprised of people who have gone through some things, who have been acquainted with some pain, who have understood some grief. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What a promise. What a promise from our Lord. On the other side of pain, on the other side of your grief, on the other side awaits comfort. Somebody say amen. Amen. So, if we're in the Beatitudes, he's offending people left and right. He comes up and he says, blessed are those who mourn. What is Jesus talking about? And I feel we need to get into this this morning because it could revolutionize and change our hearts. What is he talking about? What is this morning? Let's describe it. This morning to which Jesus is referring to is not just being sad. It's not just being down. It's not just being, you know, despondent. It's not just about being bummed out in general over a loss or over something or over somebody. It is the strongest Greek word that could be employed right here in this text. The strongest word for mourning is used. It's the kind of word that describes a kind of grief that takes such a hold of you that it cannot be hidden. See, it's the kind of word, it's the kind of mourning that breaks your heart and brings tears to your eyes. It's the kind of mourning that expels that lump from your throat and it unleashes the wail from within. It's the kind of mourning that makes knees buckles and bodies rock and fists pound the pavement. It's the kind of mourning that is not refined It ruins makeup, dishevels clothes, it loses all sense of dignity because it is unrefined. It's not calculated, it's not cerebral, it's not just up here, but it's visible, it's tangible, it's messy. This is the kind of grief, the kind of mourning that Jesus is 
putting forth in their mind. Can you guys picture it? Have you ever seen it? Can you hear it? And I just ask that question because I think that here in our modern sensibilities and culture, you know, where we say men don't cry and, you know, it's not all right for you to wear your heart on your sleeve and, you know, you, you, you got to fake it till you make it and you got to put on this air. You, you can't let, don't let the enemy see you sweat. And all these kinds of, you know, affirmations and cliches and, and words and idioms that we use. Do, do, do we really see this type of mourning? Blessed are you pounding your fist on the pavement because of your... Blessed are you that when you look, when people look at you, there is snot coming out of everywhere. There is makeup running. Your hair is a hot mess. And you are just so in anguish over your grief. Blessed are you. This isn't the portrait of a champion at his award ceremony. It's not the hotshot executive blazing her trail up the corporate ladder. It's, it's, it's completely different and incongruous with what we push forward to be desired, to be admired, to be considered blessed. It's not that which Jesus is talking about. It doesn't coincide. But blessed are those who mourn. It's a picture of complete misery that is overcoming a person. The hurting, the distraught, the overwhelmed, the losers. It's a picture for those who are losing. Blessed are you who feel like you're losing. Who feel like you've lost something. Who've been removed an opportunity, a blessing, a hope. Blessed are you. Jesus flips the script and he tells them that those who are blessed have a morning of spirit. These guys have a morning and they truly are the winners. So, okay, Pastor Brian, there's a morning that he's talking about. And so Jesus is going around as a cosmic killjoy who wants us to be completely in pain and sorrowful and, you know, go around life and go about life as if we just swallowed a cup of vinegar everywhere we went and everywhere we go and nobody wants to be around us. That's what you want us to do, right? Jesus is calling us to mourn. But what are we to mourn? What are they mourning? What is Jesus highlighting? What is he speaking about? Jesus, is he promoting that we get ourselves a helping of divorce? Is he asking us that we would lose a friend or bury a family member? Is he wanting us to suffer a termination or endure an accident or, or, or meet with a mis- have a miscarriage of a child? Is that what he wants from us? Absolutely not. Go with me to James chapter 4. I want you to see this in your Bibles. I want you to grab your Bibles. James chapter 4. Verse 8, I want you to see in your Bible that Jesus is not a masochist, that, that the kingdom of heaven, that, you know, the disciples, the teachers of God's word did not want us to just pile pain upon pain, loss upon loss, and go through life just completely defeated and dejected, full of issues. Just because he said, hey, be of good cheer, you're going to face trials of many kinds in this life, that he just wants us to be wearing a belt filled with notches full of sorrows. I want you to look at this. James chapter 8, New Testament, almost near the end. Verse 8 and 9 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
Verse 9. Lament and... No, come on. Let's go. Let's wake up, guys. Lament and mourn. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. See, Jesus wants to drastically and passionately see us weeping over our sins. Somebody say amen. He wants us weeping, broken, hurting. He wants us pounding the pavement, shedding tears, and wailing because of our sins. He doesn't want us to accrue sorrow upon sorrow and go through one challenge over another and face one loss over another loss. What he wants us to do is to face the reality of the loss of what sin has brought to us. What sin is reeking in our lives. Blessed are those who are heartbroken over sin. Blessed are those who agonize over that which agonizes the heart of the Father. Blessed are you if you are agonizing over sin. Friend, when's the last time that you cried over your sin? Don't answer me. When's the last time have you ever wailed over sin? Have you lost sleep over it? Have you lost your voice because you've cried out so hard and so long that you have no voice to be able to speak and go back to work the next day because you have been so sorrowful over the fact of your depravity? Mind you, there's a reason why this is the second beatitude and not the first beatitude. Because if you never go to the first beatitude and you are met with this reality that, oh man, I'm a poor, pitiable sinner that is in need of God's grace and mercy. There is nothing within me that could ever meet the grace and the mercy of God. There is nothing in me that would make me worthy to be even in the presence of God. There is nothing within me that would allow me even to come near and draw close to him. We have to come into the first beatitude where we understand that we are blind, pitiable beggars in need of God's grace and we say, Father, please have mercy upon me. Once we realize our condition in humility, we can say, God, now I see what I have done and who I am and the brokenness within me and it doesn't sit well with you and it shouldn't sit well with me and God, I am so heartbroken over this. If we are not poor in spirit, bankrupt in spirit, We'll never do that. But James says in chapter 4, verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. It seems like I asked you, if, if you have you cried over your sin lately? It seems, here's the thing, it seems like most of us and many of us, today's age, the society, even within the church, more of us are much more prone to laugh at our sins than cry over it. So much more now, this society, our world, is laughing over sin. It's like we inverted James and we start putting away the gloom and we, you know, we just want to crank up the joy. But he says, I want you to turn down the volume on joy and I want you to just sit and think about, contemplate, reflect. I want you to really embody this gloom over your sins. See, we watch comedies on TV and we hear comedians online whose humor is wrought, completely chock full with sexual innuendo. 
We, we, we look at, at these comedies and we hear these comedians who have flagrant obscenities. Their whole bits, their whole routines are built upon some immoral, crazy, upside down thing. That when you look at the word, it just says, how does this compute? It is full with terrible vulgarities. And we eat it up like, we eat up their dirty jokes. We laugh and we laugh and we laugh and we, we go and we send it. We send the text to our friends. We post it to, to, to Facebook and social media and we just eat it up. We even laugh at immoral behavior that's prepackaged in seemingly justifiable, well-intentioned ways. Now, I'm going to date myself here, and I know I'm not dating too much because, you know, uh, I'm an 85 person, but here's the deal. 1993, Mrs. Doubtfire. Anybody remember the movie? Robin Williams. Great comedian. Yeah. Makes a lot of people laugh. But think about this. We, 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 we laugh at immoral behavior that's prepackaged in a seemingly justifiable, well-intentioned package. Mrs. Doubtfire. It's a movie about a man who's separated, you know, and, and, and from, from, his, from his family, and he carries on a deception. He carries on this deception, taking on an alter identity. He is a man, but he pretends to be a woman. He goes on and puts on women's clothes. He puts on makeup. He speaks like a, like a woman. He, he puts himself out there to be like a woman around all of his peers at work and his family. He gets a job with his former wife to be the nanny inside of the home just so that he could be close to his children and yes uh, you could say well pastor well it's, it's not that terrible is it like think about this this movie um you know what there's no graphic scenes of, of 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 sexual you know content and 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 people get murdered and abuse and rape and all of that kind of crazy stuff that's out in the world that's just so graphic there's none like that in there yeah maybe there's an explicitive here and there one f-bomb or two or whatever it's not a, not a big deal yeah, okay, sure. And come on, pastor. Like, it's, it's a man who, who, who's hurting to be with his children, and his children need him. They need him. So he is clever, creative. He figures out a way, and he's there, and he's able to be there in critical moments and speak into the life of his children, and he has the connection, and he's satisfied, and all of this stuff. It's not a big deal. It's not that big of a deal. But church, think about this. I hear you on all those arguments. But this cleverly crafted comedy has got us laughing at a perversion. And you look out in our world today, and there's men who dress like women and women who dress like men, and we don't know the difference between the two. And we laugh at it. We're laughing. And here's my point. The reality is that Satan has already won a victory because where he's got us laughing, he's winning. Because we're laughing at something that we should be mourning over. Sometimes we try to bring levity into a situation because we don't know what to say. We don't know how to react. And so we, we make jest of it or we, we, we throw in a joke or we try to, you know, lighten the mood. Sometimes there are things that we do not need to be lightening the mood about. There's some things that we need to let it sit some things that need to weigh, that be heavy. Some things that need to not feel comfortable within us or around us. Because here's the, the reality, church. If Satan has got you laughing, then he's one step closer in getting you to accept his sin. Think about it. What you laugh at reveals your character. Just like what you cry over 
reveals your character. If we are laughing at sin, Satan is getting us closer and closer to being more accommodating to it, to incorporating and saying, come on over, you can ride with me. I can, I can put that in my pocket. I can, you know, I'm big enough. I care enough. I'm sensitive enough that I can synchronize this into my life and accommodate it into my family and, and bring it into the sphere of my society. It's not a big deal what, you know, you just want to use the bathroom and you're not of the same, that, that's, that's not a big deal. No, no imposition upon me. We are laughing at things. Oh, it's, it's just silly. He's over there. He's, you know. If Satan gets us to laugh at these things, pretty soon we're accepting these things, incorporating these things. What has got us laughing? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What are we to weep over? The fact that we have brokenness within us. The fact that we are sinful creatures. That all of us, have fallen short of the glory of God. We are to weep over that reality, that we have nothing in and of ourselves, that we, if God would not be merciful towards us, we would be lost for all eternity, forever separated from him, forever bound up in our chains and our brokenness. We have nothing within us. We are to break our hearts over that, over our own depravity, over our own weakness. But then there is more, church. There is a second layer to this. There's another component. There's another level to this. There is also this social aspect that we need to consider, that we need to stop and think about. We need to look into this world and see what is happening around us, and there needs to be a breaking in our hearts and a mourning within our souls for what is going on around us. See, when Jesus, okay, so many people look at Jesus and they, they have this, there's this picture online of Jesus laughing, right? And it's awesome. But did you know that in the Bible, it never talks about where Jesus laughed, okay? I like the, the, the chosen because it puts him in like a, a more natural uh, a light. That show is, is pretty interesting. Uh, it's a different rendering, interpretation, no problem, right? They're trying to stick to the word, but I see Jesus joking around. That's cool. But there is no scriptures in the Bible that talk about Jesus laughing, but there are scriptures that talk about him crying. There are scriptures that talk about him crying. When Jesus was approaching Jerusalem and he came to Jerusalem, he, he, he looked out at the city and he, he did something that we don't do, right? See, when we show up in a new city, when we show up to a capital, when we show up to a place that is like, you know, intriguing and new to us and exciting and big and, and buzzing and happening, we show up and we whip out our cell phones, right? Oh, hey, oh, check it out. Yeah, look at me. Oh, look at me with that, with that building in the background. Oh, I look pretty good. You know, Jesus didn't show up and say, oh, look at that. The, 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 the Temple Mount's right there. Look at me. I'm looking nice in my robes today. My blue slash is looking fly. This is awesome. Look at that. He doesn't go like, oh, wow, check it out. This, this is Caiaphas's house. Man, look at how beautiful his house is. The high priest, man, he must be balling. He's got, some, he's got some incredible ornate structures and all that. It's awesome. That's beautiful. Oh, wow, look at this chariot. Look at this. This is awesome. This is cool. This is beautiful. This is amazing. Look at me. Look at this. Look at this. And starts hashtagging all these things. Look at this blessed life. Look at me. Look at me in Jerusalem. Look at this crazy city. Look at this beautifulness. No. You know what Jesus does? He shows up to Jerusalem, and he starts looking. Oh, wow, look at them, rich in spirit. They don't need God. Look at this, sin, brokenness, depravity, demonization. Look at these people, lost, broken, hurting. Look at them, just bound in their chains, bound in their brokenness. Look at them, thinking that they got it all together. Look at them, thinking that they know everything. He shows up, and he starts crying. He starts crying, church. It's what Paul did when he showed up to Athens, 
In Acts chapter 17, I believe, he, he shows up and he's doing the same thing. He's mourning over Athens. Why? Because people are lost and broken. Blessed are those who mourn. There is a social connection. Church, while we are going around and and just pursuing our lives, pursuing our desires, building up our treasuries, fulfilling our plans, and amassing our kingdoms, and, you know, stocking our garages full of stuff that we don't even need, and pursuing the American dream, and buying storage lockers upon storage lockers to keep the things that we will never use, and all of these different things. There are people today being sold into slavery. There are women here in New England being sex trafficked. We just picked up a missionary organization that we're supporting now every single month thanks to your help and your support called Amira that is battling sex trafficking here in New England. Women who have been leaving and escaping, being pimped out, prostituted. Right here, this is happening. Right now, as we are going around chasing the American dream and just thinking about me, myself, and I, I'm good with God. I got it. Jesus, I'm so devout. I love you. My vertical relationship with you is awesome. And right now, there are children going through irreversible, uh, no, there's no coming back from this, gender reassignment surgeries that they will have repercussions, and at the end of which, they are not any better for doing so. In fact, I was talking to my wife, and she was heartbroken over a child that she had connected with and served at a former position. And her, her former colleague talked to her and said, this child that had been battling these thoughts and, and, and wrapped up in this confusion, uh, just went through the surgeries and did all the hormone therapies and all this other stuff, this child just committed suicide. Church, right now around us, there is a world that is lost and dying. Right now around us, there are people who are saying, it's my body, it's my choice. And so 800,000 plus every single year in our nation, think about just our nation, are dying in the womb because somebody says that, you know what? I have the right and the ability, and life is not fundamental. It's not the fundamental right. There is right now all around us people who are lost, people who are dying, people who are bound up in drugs and addictions, those who need hope, those who are depressed right now around us. And Jesus, when he looked out at Jerusalem, he wept. He cried. When's the last time I cried? William Carey, the founder of the Foundation Army, was talking to a couple of men who were so passionate about their city. And these men wanted to go and make an impact and make a difference. And they wanted to change things around them. And they saw the brokenness and the the bondage that was around them. And these men were trying everything and anything, and yet they could not fulfill the commission. And they were not being effective. And so they went up to William Carey, and William Carey said to to them, you've tried everything, why don't you try tears? There is a level of change that will not happen unless if we come into this place of mourning. There needs to be in the believer. If we want to call ourselves blessed, it's not just, Lord, I got this right with you and I could care less about what's happening right here. Our vertical relationship is solid, is rock solid, it's good. I got my eyes on you, Jesus. Yeah, there's kids dying, but Jesus, my eyes are stayed upon you. Jesus, my eyes are stayed upon you. Meanwhile, our family members are going into drugs and alcohol. 
Meanwhile, you know, we don't want to offend anybody, so we don't say what is right, what the word says. Somebody asked me, hey, you know, what do you think about this issue and that issue or this sin or that sin? And we say, you know what, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. And hey, can we all get along, kumbaya, and all that kind of stuff. He says, hey, narrow is the gate that leads to salvation. And wide, broad is the gate that leads to hell and destruction. Church, we need to be open and we need to be broken over sin that men and women are not just going peacefully and skipping and hopping. They are running full tilt to hell. And if we do not cry out and we do not break our hearts and mourn before God, pound the pavement and pour out our tears and sacrifice and give and declare, God, you can use me. You can use of my resources, my time, my talent. You can, Lord God, wake me up in the night hours to intercede. You can, Lord Jesus, take me out of my routine and my schedule. Put a person before me. Lord God, let me just break out in the gospel and speak the words of truth bubbling out from within me to those who are hurting and lost. Use me, Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Church, we're not going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. We're not going to receive the comfort that we most desire if we are not men and women who are mourning and grieving over our sins and over the sins of our world. We need to wake up. This is not a game. This is not something that we just do because we have no time or we have nothing else to do or we just don't know what to do. And so we are the you know, elect that just go to church. No, we need to wake up that there is a lost and dying world and we need to come to it, that we ourselves are lost and dying and we need to cry out to God, have mercy upon me. And the beautiful thing is that there is comfort to those who do this. You want to be blessed? Mourn. Don't go through a miscarriage, but I want you to mourn over your sin. If that has happened to you, I am sorry. It is heartbreaking. If you've lost a parent, a loved one, a child, it is heartbreaking. But just because you are mourning doesn't mean that you will be comforted. It's if you mourn over the right thing, you'll get it. So this idea of universal comfort, you know, you go to any funeral and every single funeral, everybody there believes that, you know, that person is in a better place than going to heaven. Like, hey, I want to believe that. I want that to be the case. But that's not what this book says. It tells me this, that if we come before God and we ask him for his mercy and we believe in him and we repent, we shall find comfort see when when we most want sometimes we read scriptures and they just kind of you know we read them oh great god it's good but it doesn't make sense to us because we're not going through a season we're not going through that moment that's not relatable to us at that moment but let me tell you this whether you are going through this where you've passed through this you've known this to be the case in your life whether this scripture has become alive to you whether that's already happened that doesn't matter. What I tell you is this, it will. There will come a day where you will read and if all you had, if you were in a country that banned the Bible and all you found was on a little piece of torn paper blowing in the wind, somehow miraculously it showed up to you and all that said there was the later half, latter half of this text, you shall be comforted you shall receive comfort, then this would be the most 
blessed scripture for you in that moment because there's going to come a moment where you're not going to be with anybody around you. You're not going to have your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues, your parents. You're not going to have your church, your pastor. You're not going to have your good deeds, your good works, your wealth, your finances. You're not going to have anything else. There's going to come a point where you are going to be lost and dying and broken and in need of a savior. And in that moment, all you're going to want is to feel the comfort of the one and only one who can bring eternal comfort, and that is the comforter, the Holy Spirit, Father God, his son, through what he's accomplished for you and I. But we only get there if we repent. My son is three years old. I'll invite the team to come on up. He's three years old, going on four. He's got a little sister who's going on one, and they're now at a stage where they're playing together. Or at least she's trying to and he's not liking it. Because she takes his toys and she gets in the way and she, you know, messes up what he's doing and she gets things out of order and whack. And so he gets frustrated. And as a three-year-old child who doesn't really know how to negotiate or understand and, and, and wants to just like, you know, pounce on her and push her. And we've caught him a couple times. Knocking her down. We're like, dude, you don't do that. She's a baby. She could hit her head. I was playing with him yesterday, and we were a little roughhousing. Boys like to roughhouse, and he likes to do that. So we're in this playpen, and then his sister comes into the pen, and he wants to, or she's trying to come into the pen. We locked it up so she wouldn't be able to because we know this is boys' time. Well, she comes to the edge of it, and she's pushing up on the, on the sides of the playpen and the ball pit, whatever it was, and all of a sudden my son just turns around and he just punches her in the face. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Because he doesn't want her to impede and infringe on our playtime and being dad. This is us now. This is, this is a good time. We're having fun. We're, we're being wild. We're being rambunctious. We're jumping around. And so he's like, oh, sorry, dad. I'm like, dude, you don't do that. And so I tell him, you don't do that. She comes back again. And I had said it. It had just left my lips. You don't do that. And then he's turning around and do it again. Because she's coming back. I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. Take the covers off. Take, 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 the, take the ball pit. Let's, let's pause, pause. I don't think you understand this whole thing about sorry. You're not understanding this idea of sorry right now. Sorry, dad. Sorry, basically, dad, can we just keep playing? Sorry, dad, I'm, I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry I got caught. Sorry, dad. You know, it kind of reminds me of Saul, the, the king of Israel, who back in, in the Old Testament times when, when God had given him commandments said, hey, this is your land. You're the king. You are to fulfill the role of a king and this is my prophet Samuel and he is to fulfill the role of a prophet and he is to do this and he's giving you some instructions and when you go and you attack this city you're going to completely devote it to God because God is is asking you to do that there's a plan and a purpose and yet Saul he's like okay yeah sure I'll take that instruction I'll take some of this I'll take some of that and and then he goes and he just does what he wants he lies he steals he covets, he, he hides it, he tries to cover it up. And then Saul shows up to him and, and it's, uh, Samuel shows up and says, hey, Saul, what are you doing? You, you've sinned, you've messed up. And he goes, oh, probably long in the face. Yeah, I'm sorry. Man, I did, I did mess up. I, I screwed that up royally, sorry. I messed that up, I, that, that was a blunder. I am so sorry, I am so embarrassed. My bad. And then within the same sentence, he goes, okay, now though, 
Can you come to me over to the city? And can you come and stand before the elders of the, of, of the nation? And can you honor me in their presence? Ah, uh, Hello. Church, we, we can be sorry about our sin. We can cry. We can pound the pavement. We can rock our bodies. We can fall down, buckle our knees. We can, we can spend tears and years and moments in prayer in our prayer closet, crying over our sin. But church, if we do not repent, it means nothing. My son who did not change his mindset and stop his behavior, he did not become repentive of his sin. He just was sorry he got caught. Saul was sorry he was caught. Judas was sorry he got caught. Paul tells us, as he's writing to the Corinthian church, that there is a sorrow that leads to repentance. And it's a good thing. He had written to them because they were doing some offensive things and crazy, stupid things, and, and they were elevating their sin. And Paul says to them, dude, you guys are wild. And he starts reaming them. We don't have the letter he wrote them that just totally rebuked them. But we, we have a response. But then he goes on and responds from their response. And he tells them in, in 2 Corinthians that I am glad that I grieved you for a while because my grieving you led you to repentance. See, there, there, there's the work that Satan wants to do in our lives. Just look at Judas. He wants to get us to the end of ourselves. And then when we get to the end of ourselves and we see our brokenness, our sin, our issues, our depravity, we see the blunders that we've made. We see the faults that we've committed. We see the things that we have utterly destroyed and ruined our lives with. Satan says, look at you, pitiable, despairing person. There's no hope for you. And he gets us to despair. But church, here's what sorrow of the godly persuasion does. This is what Paul was speaking about to the Corinthians. This is what God wants from us. I want you to feel so bad about your broken state. I want you to hurt so much about what you did. It grieved God. It hurt him. You ruined relationships because of what you said. Things will never be the same because of what you did, okay? Now life and relationships going to be different. You have hurt somebody. You have lost an You are going to grieve something that will never happen in your life again because of what you've done. But by the mercy of God, you can go on. Because when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, he gets us to the end of ourselves. But what the Holy Spirit does is he does not leave us in our condemnation, but he convicts us of our sins and he leads us back to Jesus. He leads us back to the one who is the comfort, the one who purchases comfort for us. We are to mourn our sins the sins around us and we are to experience the only comfort that will ever comfort us truly think about a time that you were sick or a time you had an accident a moment that some tragedy befell your life or your family I guarantee you that if you have the privilege or the opportunity because of your life circumstance probably one of the first people you called was your parent to say, 
Mom, I just need to be encouraged by you right now. I have this terrible thing happening. Dad, I just need you to, to come and help me out. I just need your presence. Lord, I just need you to come into my life and my circumstance. There's all of us that are going to go through a moment of sorrow and pain and suffering that nothing will be able to satisfy other than the one that stands apart from suffering on the other side of it and says, hey, I'm here for you, my child. Come in, let me give you rest. The one who says, I will promise you that one day every tear will be wiped away and every single one of your sorrows will be done away with. Death has no longer any sting. There is no longer any sorrow and grief, but there is only joy and there's only celebration. Why? Because you are in my abiding presence. We only get to that through repentance. So I invite you to stand with me this morning. Don't let anyone lie to you. Everyone universally grieves. Therefore, all of us will be comforted. All of us will experience the joy of comfort. All of us will get to call him dad. No. Have you repented of your sins? Have you changed your ways? Have you completely moved your heart, not from damage, retention, and mitigation, but from life transformation? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will find the comfort of God. I'm grateful to serve a church that is looking at the needs around us. I'm grateful to serve in a church that people are being honest about who they are. And I gotta ask you, can you recommit today to mourning over sin? Can you recommit today, if you've never done it before, to truly say, God, develop within me a heart that mourns the reality of my issue? my condition. Renew within me a heart that cries like the psalmist said, streams of tears because they do not keep your commands. I don't know when the last time is that you cried, that you felt sorrow for your sins, for the sins of our world but I invite you to do so today. 11.34. Lunch will be there. The restaurants will be there. Also outside there will be your hurting and broken, dejected, lost, hopeless, miserable, depressed friends and family that is asking somebody to reach out to them, wanting somebody to bring them something authentic and something true and something real, somebody who is yearning for a change and desperation outside of here will be your same issue that you are waiting on the other side, that here you've been able to behave, maybe, hopefully, but it's waiting for you out there. And if you want to experience change and be comforted in the fact that you don't have to remain that way, that you will today begin the process of grieving. The altars are open. I'm gonna invite you to come and spend some time. And this is personal. Today, this is personal. My invitation is this. For those of you who have never come face to face with your sin, you've never said, honestly, I am a sinner in need of God's grace. I have nothing. My money won't save me. I've tried different strategies and that hasn't worked. I need to give Jesus a try. I need to invite him into my life. I want to pray with you. The rest of us, I want us to come to the altar. I want you to, to make an altar of where we are. Whatever your position is, I don't care. 
I want you to press in that, God, break my heart for what breaks your heart. God, help me to mourn and, and grieve over my sin, over the sin of my nation, over the sin of my people, over what we have called right, which is wrong, and wrong, which we're now calling right. God, I pray that you will help me grieve. It's gonna be between you and God and nobody else. I don't want anyone else praying with anybody else today. I want you to press in personally. But if you are wanting to know this Jesus who brings comfort even in the midst of sorrow, the one who was acquainted with sorrow, the man of sorrows, as Isaiah says, then I invite you to come to this altar. Come right to me. I wanna pray with you. Close your eyes. Father, I thank you that you are in this place. I invite you to meet needs and speak to lives. I pray, God, that you would change hearts today, that, Father, you would help us to realize our broken and pitiable states, that if, if we do not come to an encounter with you, God, that nothing will ever change and we will forever be lost, forever be shut out of your presence, that we will, Lord God, forever be in a place of sorrow and grieving as we gnash our teeth in the pits of hell away from you, Father. I pray that you would move upon us, God, to have have sorrow in our hearts to the sins that we have committed, the brokenness that we have inherited. And God, that you would make us renewed, transformed, redeemed by the power of your grace. That God, you would allow us through the Holy Spirit to be, Lord God, transformed by the renewing of our mind. That God, you would give us the ability to resist the enemy and flee. That Father, even in our sickness, even in our weakness, even in our broken states, Lord, that your strength would be made beautiful in our lives and we would trust and yearn for you ever present before for us the fact that we need you. Lord, I pray that you would break every lie that keeps us self-assured and proud and Lord God, walking and moving as if everything was fine. Awake us and awake your church and change us, God, that we would change our lives and change our homes and change our families and move in a mighty power across this world bringing something of worth and hope in Jesus mighty name may the love of our God the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the empowerment of his Holy Spirit the person of his Holy Spirit that enables us to be different be with us today and forevermore in Jesus mighty name God bless you